You're listening to The Counseling Clinic with Aisha Jean and Lisa Michelle, the show for up-and-coming mental health professionals, advocates, and anyone else who wants to learn more about the mental health field from two not-so-professional professionals. Hello, folks. Hey, y'all. Welcome back, returning listeners. If you're new here, we're happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. So today we have the second episode of our series, Mental Health in the System, um, which we brought back from season two. And so today we're focusing on healthcare. And in season two, when we did healthcare, we talked about the laws surrounding people with mental illnesses. And of course, this time we're talking about the people on the ground floor, like we did last week for the legal system, right? So we're talking about the people on the ground floor and what the ground floor looks like and how we can make things better, of course. So Michelle is going to give us a list of the people who are on the ground floor, but I wanted to start with dispatch officers. And we talked about dispatch in full last week, (laughs) but it's important to talk about them again because people have to call somewhere, right? (laughs) Right. And like I said, the calls don't sound great. And so we have to talk about that because, you know, you may have to dial 911 to get an ambulance or when there's some kind of healthcare emergency, it might be crime and, and health, you know. So I think that's still really important here. And that has to be addressed so that training can be acknowledged and improved. Right. So on this list, I think one of the things it's important to, to kind of break it up into groups of how you would come in contact with this. The first couple would be the dispatch operators and EMT, right? Mm-hmm. So that's if you are calling one to get service, to get an ambulance. Right. Um, and then EMT, sometimes police and firefighters, you know, they get involved mm-hmm. too, but that's who would come to you first. So that's a lot of times your first contact. That's why they're called first responders. Right. The ones who are right there. Next would be, let's, let's say you finally get to the hospital or the doctor's office or the clinic or what have you. So you're going to have mm-hmm. your reception, clerks, administrative assistants. Right. Those can play various roles. Sometimes they help with intake. Sometimes they help with paperwork, mm-hmm. scheduling, or at least just, again, a point of contact. Uh, even Right, like a point of contact because some, depending on where you go, um, some places even have an information desk, right, when you first walk right. in. So it can be simply to tell you where to go. And I think that counts too. Yeah. Keep on going through the, the list. It's going to be your nurses. There are different types of nurses. So you have mm-hmm. LPN, you have CNA, you have RN, nurse prac, which we'll get to that in a second, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your doctors, your physicians. Again, different types of those. Mm-hmm. Lots of levels on that one. So we're not going to break all that down. And then you also have people on call, right? right. And um <sighs> <laughs> I have to be careful with saying that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but obviously sometimes a doctor will have a nurse who is on call, but a doctor still has to be on call as well. So there's like an on-call staff, right? And even in mental health facilities, 
you have to have an on-call staff, right? There's a therapist on-call, there's a nurse on-call, there's a, a psychiatrist who's on-call, or sometimes a nurse prac, um, because, you know, as we talked about in the previous episode, they try to replace people, which is a bad idea, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so there's an entire staff that's on-call, and because they're on-call, you might get forwarded to them, and so the interaction with them is important, too. Right. So now kind of looking at a little bit more specific practitioners and clinicians to talk about psychiatrists, often when it comes to mental illness or the next people uh, on the front lines you're going to run into. Mm -hmm. According to the 2018 study by Beck Page et al., they produced a study that is obviously going to be linked below. um, So definitely give it a read, but they stated, according to the AMA master file, 41,133 physicians were actively practicing across the United States. The state with the highest number of psychiatrists was California with almost 6,000. And then the state with the fewest was Wyoming with 42. Jeez. Right. Um, So they keep going. The national average was 806.5 psychiatrists per state. The county with the most psychiatrists was New York, New York with 1,800. Of 3,135 total counties in the United States, 1,446 had at least one psychiatrist, which is 46.1%. Lastly, the majority of counties had no psychiatrist, end quote. So we talk about (laughs) them specifically, right? And Mm -hmm. it's hearing and seeing these numbers is, it was very alarming Mm -hmm. uh, for me because again, that last sentence is the majority of counties had no psychiatrists. Right. And we're talking, you know, a lot of people need that one-on-one time with the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. It is, it can be very beautiful, very powerful, and it's very effective, right? They're still around because they are still providing help. Right. Noticing how few there are, um, again, was just incredibly surprising. Right. And obviously we talked about that, right? We did a whole episode on careers in the mental health field, right? And we talked about the different positions, but we also also talked about the fact that we have to replace each other because there's not enough of us in any area, really. (laughs) Um, And it's just unfortunate because (laughs) the need doesn't go anywhere um and what is disheartening to me is that the standards are lowered so that people can take over for the positions that are missing which doesn't do anything for the quality uh that's not true it does something it lowers the quality of care it absolutely does and i will not be the one to deny that Uh, (laughs) it's just not gonna happen here (laughs) So, you know, if I have to be the one to say it, then so be it. But the quality of care is lowered because the the training is different. You know, the training is lowered so that people can get these jobs quicker, right? And it's just unfortunate. It's just unfortunate because, like I said, the need doesn't go anywhere. People still need help. Absolutely. Sorry, I hit (laughs) the desk. The next one you often see, um, again, kind of on those directly working with individuals with mental illness is are the psychiatric nurse practitioners again referenced 
below, like always, um, the American Association of Nurse Practitioners released the following data this year. Quoted, we have over 290,000 nurse practitioners in America with only 1.8 specializing in psychiatric or mental health nurse practitioners. Which again is disheartening. Very surprising. I just, I would not have guessed that. I don't know. I, I don't really feel surprised by it. I don't really feel surprised by any of the numbers. I'm surprised by other stuff, but not the numbers. Oh, <laughs> that's fair. And lastly, uh, which I heard about this a lot more in grad school when, you know, as you're doing those internships and practicums and stuff, but mental health technician or uh, mental health aid, mm-hmm. um, these are a, a little bit more of direct care yeah. providers, yes. but again, that still counts. Mm-hmm. And they count a lot. Yes. And I think this is where a big part of the challenge lies because these are the people who are directly on the ground floor, right? They, like you said, they are direct care. So they're the ones who like in a a residential facility, um, Mm -hmm. the kids can't be left alone, right? Or I guess the clients or patients can't be left alone. Um, So they have to have staff members with them all the time. These are the people who are doing that. And of course, those are the people who are not getting paid as much. Mm -hmm. However, they also don't have to have as much background coming in. And I think that that's a problem because, because, you know, like I've talked about, I want to say that was last episode, but I could be wrong. But if people don't know what the goal is, if they don't have the background, then they can't help you work towards improvement, you know, and that that's an issue. And so I think that for me, I would like more attention to be on areas like this, on these ground floor areas. Of course. I would like more attention to be on these ground floor areas because so much stuff happens there. And and like I said on, on that mm-hmm. other episode, these are the people who are recording consistently. And that was last episode. That was part one of the series in legal when I was saying that we read the stat about how a 90-day stay in a mental health facility can thwart a 10-year prison sentence. Right. Um, and, you know, we talked about what long-term care looks like, but if the techs are not being trained enough to know what they're looking for, right, or how to record this data, then we still sending people back out without getting the improvement that they need, you know, so I think that a lot of focus needs to be put there. And that's not to say, oh, these techs ain't doing their job. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the point of right. this is. <laughs> that's not what I mean. What I mean Please is- Please don't think that. Right. That That's, that's not what we came here for. <laughs> we came here to talk about improvement. <laughs> and other people are responsible for that, right? Um, insurances are responsible for that and, and driving by numbers, right? The people on the top are the ones making the rules and saying who needs to know what and what information people need to have access to. And I agree with that. Certain people need certain access. But if these are the people with the direct interaction with them they need to know all of it they need to know you know (laughs) so I think that a lot of attention needs to be put on the ground floor in general generally speaking so that's why I think that was a good way to go Uh, that's why we chose to go this way for this series I very much agree with that Uh, and 
to bring it back to something I said in the last episode as well, sometimes that's on us. You know, if, mm-hmm. if people are not adequately trained in our field, or at least have point of reference to our field, mm-hmm. to an extent that falls on us mm-hmm. to make sure that we get that information out there. We cannot keep, look, I'm all about holding your cards close. Um, I've said that on here before, but to an extent, we cannot keep the, the, the good information or the helpful information hidden like a buried treasure that only we have access to. Right. And we can't be upset about coworkers trying to help us. You know, we yes. can't, we can't Gosh. be the only ones with answers, but we also can't be the only ones who don't need answers. You know, we got, we got to be somewhere in the middle. We got to be teaching and learning from each other so that we can all grow. Because again, like you said, that falls on us. And ultimately, of course, the people who suffer is the clients. We feel right. irritated because our work environment sucks. You know, morale is affected, but the people who actually suffer are the clients. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. So that's the ground floor. <laughs> so let's move on to what interaction looks like in the healthcare system. So I think something that the first thing we think of beyond maybe like just going to the doctor um, or going to your psychiatrist for medication is hospitalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've talked about the media. We've talked about people's opinions on that and, and, there's an article below that's really great that talks about the positive effects um, and some positive testimonials of hospitalization, mm-hmm. um, psychiatric hospitalization. And I thought that was beautiful. That's why it's included because it is a great thing to remember the benefit and that it's not always the terrible situation. It's not always the underfunded, you know, heinous experiences that people right. have. Sometimes these are powerful and and impactful situations. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice to remind yourself of the positive. So those are listed below. (laughs) And two, to be completely fair, not all experiences are positive. Like there's going to be situations where somebody didn't need to be there, whether that was a client or a patient or professional, to be honest. So There's always the, uh, the um, like the state, a city, a county hospital that everybody's afraid of because, <laughs> because that's the place where all the bad stuff happens. Um, right. I had somebody go to a university hospital for hospitalization and they were, or at least the parents were upset because everything all happened in the same place. So nothing was separated by um, age group or by issue, you know, like what, what the issue was. It was just all of the people were all together. And the parent was really upset about the child being exposed to certain things, which makes sense, right? So sometimes it can be bad. <laughs> um, sometimes it can be bad. Of course. And again, that's going to come with everything, but... Like I said, I think there are times to remember, hey, this is why this is important. So this is why we need to continue to grow and improve right, the situation. Absolutely. The next is kind of what an interaction looks like, but but kind of what happens after the fact, which is leaving the patient or the client with more questions and concerns. Um, mm-hmm. Some will say, oh, it's, it, you know, the, the psychiatrist didn't have any time for me or the doctor or the nurse practitioner or whoever only wanted to get in and get out. And that can be very true. Mm -hmm. I can. Sometimes it can be because the patient wasn't honest. 
the patient didn't share anything. Right. The patient didn't ask questions. And so they leave and still have the questions they didn't ask. Right. right? They came in with the same questions they left with because they right. didn't ask. And while that's partially fair, right? Right. Because it can be quite traumatic to be in that situation, being hospitalized, right? Right. That can be traumatic. And you, yep. a client could, or a patient in the case, could be afraid. Yep. At, at the very least, you're uncomfortable, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but again, if you didn't ask your question, you can't blame somebody for not answering it. We hope that they're giving you information, the stuff that you need. But if you didn't ask specifically, you can't blame them for not specifically answering. Right. And, and again, well, not again, that, you know, point really comes more with things lesser than hospitalizations, but you're right. It happens in hospitalizations Mm -hmm. as well. I would also like to plug that this is where, if you're already seeing this person, if, if, if you are the counselor and this person then has to go to a psychiatrist or hospitalization, this is why it's important to address, Hey, when you go see your, whoever ask these things, Mm -hmm. clarify these things. It's important to, you know, if nobody else is going to make the, the team integrated or holistic, do it yourself. Start somewhere. Do it yourself. And I've had that issue before too, because in community mental health facilities, it's called community and they have a whole bunch of different services. And I've spoken about that here before, but of course it's not integrated, right? And everybody's just trying to get their jobs done and they don't really understand that they're supposed to be working together. And so a lot of times people get left out of the loop. And I even think I offended some people by saying, talk to the therapist about the the client, right? <laughs> talk oh, no. to the therapist mm-hmm. about the client, not saying that, that the therapist will have all of the answers, but just because it seems like a crisis for you does not mean it's an actual crisis or it might be something that can be handled by the therapist, but there's no reason that a therapist should look up and all of a sudden one of their clients is hospitalized and, and they had no idea. That's terrible work. That's terrible. This is like, <laughs> hmm. oh, well, be offended. That's awful. <laughs> That's awful. That's not how you work together. That's not quality client care. No, not at all. But that does bring us right into our next point of <laughs> what we want these interactions to look like. And Mm -hmm. that is integrated healthcare. We want these interactions to be well-rounded and the teams to be well-rounded and that we have full and effective communication. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, obviously we had an entire episode on in- integrated healthcare. Uh, entire what? <laughs> an entire episode. It's a pretty interesting episode for, um, for me, at least. I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but that's because I value my job. I value my clients and I value other people's roles with those clients as well. So for me, I don't see any problems with it, right? I'm willing to work with other people so that clients can get the help that they need. Um, right. So I thoroughly enjoyed knowing that other people want that too. <laughs> so I very much enjoyed that. But we had that whole episode and we talked about um, 
the benefits of, you know, like Michelle just mentioned, effective communication, showing the client that you value the other professional so that they can value the other professional, right? It makes a world of difference if a client sees that that the professional they trust, trusts another professional. That makes yes. a difference. You know, we all know that the relationship is what's most important in therapy, right? Or in counseling. We know that that's the most important factor and somehow it's not important for us to all be working together. How could that make sense? You know, It doesn't. <laughs> um, another thing that, that we are looking for is psychoeducation. And I know this is a term you may not have heard since grad school, but it is it's so powerful. And I think it can go underestimated so many times, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I say psychoeducation for both sides of the coin. So on our side, yes, bring it up, you know, check in. I, we talked about this before, check in with your clients on how their visit went or how uh, the medication's going. You can ask those questions. It's fine. Um, but I think too, if, if in the healthcare arena, having more of a psychoeducation moment with patients, I think that could also provide a lot of help as well in clarity. Because again, people are not always going to ask questions. So bringing it up, you know, before they have to ask can be, can be a beautiful thing. And I even understand that sometimes as a professional, you don't want to overwhelm them with information. Of course. But there's stuff that they need to know. So you have to give it to them. And then you can always refer back to it. They can always refer back to it. So they still need it. You know, they still need that information. Right. And that information, you know, that's something that you've had because you've had training in it but not everyone has. Right, right. And and again, that definitely goes into training. And what I mean by that is psychoeducation is not only for your clients, right? Again, mm-hmm. all of the people who work with this client need that psychoeducation as well. Yes. You know, we can't yes. all be the only ones with the information we have to share. We have to talk to each other. We have to value each other. Again, being nice is not the same as therapeutic. <laughs> That's not the same. Oh, yes. Those are not the same things. Just because <laughs> you are the one who has a relationship with that client does not mean you're being therapeutic. So we have to psychoeducate each other. You know, last episode was legal, right? Um, the legal system. Um, law enforcement has to be psychoeducated, right? So does healthcare. So do our mental health care workers. <laughs> so do mental health professionals we all need to continuously be educated on something like this I guess we'll have to get to that next week um, <laughs> but you know there, there's nowhere where it stops where oh that that's enough training you know we all need right. this continuously and also in talking about psychoeducation I think it's really important to talk about mental health care being not necessarily left out of health care, but separated as much as it is. Yeah. I yeah. think that's an issue too, as we forget how connected they truly are. And unfortunately, we want to treat them different. And like I said, that's just unfortunate. Like that's the best word I have for it. That is, it's just unfortunate because they shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be treated differently, but you know, the long stigma, so <laughs> a long standing stigma, so I get it. Very, so, very. 
Thanks, take time. That's fine. So let's talk about some efforts to improve. I think one of the big improvements that I've seen is the improvement of medical facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one, I guess it has a lot to do with like private practice I and mean, people starting like smaller clinics and everything not being in a an actual hospital. But I think that private sector really brings some important competition that was definitely needed, yeah. you know, and, and so they have to treat people better. Things have to look better. You know, they have to feel better. You you have to feel valued as a client, a patient. And I, I think that to me, that's made a difference because I'm sure that people, uh, at least people who've had experiences can tell the difference in some of the locations, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Michelle, with some people talking about their positive experiences, right? We know that in the healthcare system, they're making efforts to improve, like, I guess, like neonatal care, right? The um, mm, the right. um, maternity wards are improving. And um, mm-hmm. so things like that are, are changing. And I think that that's changing for mental health as well, because again, they're connected, right? So, <laughs> so with the maternity wards, you got postpartum depression and, you know, different things like that. Those yeah. things are connected. But when you have the facilities improving and people paying specific attention to the quality of your care that makes a difference you know so I think that that's a wonderful improvement that's in the works I completely agree speaking of integrated care (laughs) (laughs) there is a study by Kilburn Beck et al from 2018 about the department of veteran affairs and how they are utilizing more evidence-based practices and requiring more mental health workers in their facilities for quotes, integrated care, um, <laughs> which is, is, is exciting. I mean, it, right. it really is good to know that people are beginning to see it um, as a need, not just a, yeah. a like dream or an idealistic approach, mm-hmm. but an actual necessary and feasible approach. Right. So for any practicing clinicians or even clinicians in training listening, I know that that evidence-based practices thing can right. be <laughs> kind of trigger, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but, and for good reason, because we know that that has a lot to do with insurance. And again, that's not mm-hmm. where the decision should be made. However, that's right. where they are made. Uh, <laughs> but evidence-based practices shouldn't, I guess, intimidate us, uh, make us think initially insurance. Because... Right. That's necessary, right? We do, you know, I know that there are people who think, oh, you only use your (laughs) your evidence, right? I learned this on the job. (laughs) And I know there are people who think theory, 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 right? (laughs) We, I know we have those extremes, but the the fact of the matter is that you need both, right? You do need evidence-based practices. You do need the theory and the the supporting research, right? You need both of them. And so I think that that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. And lastly, there's an article below by Lieberman Goldman et al. from 2017, where they list four steps of progress for healthcare provisions for you know, mental illness and those suffering with mental illness. And those are one, dissemination and implementation of evidence-based programs. Next, creation of portals of entry for all needs. Three, alignment 
of financing systems of outcomes and value-based care, and then lastly, modernization of healthcare technology. And each of those bring challenges in, in implementing themselves, but such a good um, step forward. I mean, a, mm-hmm. a leap if you can get all four of them. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, also to be able to line that all out, that all of those things are important. Right. So I think just having the list by itself is a, a good step, <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously we need yes. some, ab- you know, some action behind it, but, but that's still a step in the right direction. All progress counts, right? So that is the episode, folks. So tell us your thoughts and experiences. Did we miss anybody on the ground floor? Any of those positions uh, you want to mention to us so we know them? Right. What kinds of issues have you seen on the ground floor for, of mental health and healthcare? What improvement efforts have you seen? And also let us know if you have made any efforts to improve this area of mental health and healthcare. Remember, nothing is too small. As we talked about a long time ago in season one, you <laughs> you are the face, right? You're the face of the field. So if you help somebody in crisis or during a traumatic experience or, or gave them at least one pleasant interaction and made them comfortable enough to reach out for help, that counts. That's a big deal. So let us know if you've done any of that. And that is all we have for you. So we'll see you next week. See ya. the counseling clinic with Aisha Jane and Lisa Michelle. Remember to check out our website at thecounselingclinicpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at the counseling clinic podcast. We'll see you guys next week for our next session. Bye guys. The music provided by scottholmesmusic.com and our show is edited and produced by Chris Luke.